Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kitty. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian, it's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Hey, what's up, ladies and gents? Brian Nichols here. Another fun-filled episode of The Brian Nichols Show. This is the first episode you're checking out for 2019, and boy, is it a good one. Today, I am joined by the editor at Young Voices, contributor for the uh, National Review, The Federalist, uh, Washington Examiner, Brad Palumbo. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely, buddy. And and, hey, listen, I I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule um, to hop on the show today. Really, I was I was so fascinated when I first found you online. We like started watching your content and stuff. Is that you are able to present um, a lot of the libertarian or even conservative arguments in a really easy to digest manner, where it's not so much you know uh, into the the weeds, but the the average everyday person can read your content and it, at the very least walk away understanding what the conservative or libertarian position was. Um, and, and I was I, I'm always fascinated with my guests when they come on my show to figure out. What makes you tick? How, how did you get to where you are today? So really to start off, if you could introduce yourself to my audience, not only uh, who you are, but how you got to where you are today, not only professionally, but also uh, as it pertains to your political stance. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an editor at the libertarian media nonprofit Young Voices, uh, where we have a we have a crew of about 50 writers who we help edit and pitch op-eds to professional publications from left to right. Um, from the Daily Beast to National Review Online. Uh, so that's kind of my day job right now. But then I'm also a writer myself. So I write op-eds um, for the Washington Examiner, for National Review Online, for the essays for the Federalist, occasionally a piece or two for USA Today. Um, so I'm, I'm basically an opinion writer and an aspiring political commentator. Uh, and I guess how I got here today is kind of interesting I, uh, when I was in college, I wanted to be a lawyer, right? So when I was, when I was a freshman in college, I want, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and then just as a side thing, I decided that I would go, um, for, write for the opinion section of the student newspaper. And little did I know that I would become kind of enchanted with being a campus columnist because I'm no right winger or far right or anything, but being a center right libertarian, made me the equivalent of a right-wing extremist at the campus of uh, the University of Massachusetts, which is basically um, a socialist utopia. So anyway, I would I would put out these columns online and in print, and the whole campus would kind of melt down at the fact that somebody was expressing a different viewpoint. There'd be hundreds of comments, et cetera. And that's when I kind of realized that I wanted to work in uh, the battleground of ideas. So 
now elephant in the room, the battleground of ideas for you. And, and I, I hate labeling people because just it, I don't think it really matters. At the end of the day, you own yourself. And that's all that matters. But um, you obviously you're you're identifying as a, a gay man and you're espousing conservative slash libertarian ideas. And for the public at large, they hear that and it, it's kind of like does not compute. And uh, it got to the point I forget. I think it was Chad Felix Green wrote an article about how it was harder for him to come out as a conservative than it was for him to come out as gay. And a an article was published in response to that um, from Deadspin, which said um, <laughs> basically more or less uh, conservative gays need to shut the f up. And you wrote a response article that saying, "Well, hey, I'm gay. I'm a gay conservative, and I refuse to shut the f up." So number one, I want to just kind of get your I guess, life perspective as being a gay conservative and how that has really been as a, as a task for you to be either, uh, I guess, sorting through becoming a conservative or trying to relate to more social conservatives, um, how you experienced with the left um, and, and your being a gay conservative. And then we can really dig into that article from uh, in your response to Deadspin. So yeah, we'll start off there with, um, you know, basically your your personal story, if you will. Yeah, so I think you you mentioned the fact that I'm a dare to be both gay and conservative libertarian, and that makes you essentially a traitor to the kind of leftist LGBT um, portion of the of that community, um, especially on a place like a college campus, right? Because that's just something beyond the comprehension of most uh, liberal gender studies professors that you can both be a gay person and an individual who thinks for themselves on a variety of issues. Um, so I guess that that kind of explains my philosophy for myself is that I'm just a person and yes, I'm gay, but that's just regardless, I'm an individual. So I don't see right. why logically that would ever reflect my, um, affect my opinion on something like abortion or tax policy or capitalism or free trade or immigration. I mean, those things have nothing to do with that. And the idea that I owe fealty or allegiance to anyone, which is basically, I think, um, segueing us into this Deadspin article written by um, some left-wing LGBT person, basically saying that anyone who disagrees, she actually used slurs, right? She called um, Milo Yiannopoulos a traitorous uh, faggot and a couple other people some nasty things. And I look, I'm no fan of Milo. I don't care. Um, but the point is, uh, I'm not offended by her slurs, but the point is the core of that idea that you can't be gay and think differently really, really irks me to my core because it's fundamentally just a different type of bigotry. Um, and, and and I find it equally disturbing. And and I think the thing for a lot of folks in the libertarian camp, when we look at the situation like this, we're like, well, yeah, because you'll have people who are socially conservative who usually are, are more... Um, maybe not condoning of, of a of a gay lifestyle, but you know they've tacitly kind of accepted that this is the way that the society is nowadays. And then you have the leftists who essentially assume that anyone who was in the LGBT camp is instantly part of their demographic that they're reaching out to. And libertarians are like, well, you know, we we look at the individual as the individual. Everybody <laughs> should be able to live their lives as they see fit, so long as they're not hurting somebody else and not taking somebody else's stuff. Um, so I guess, what was it that made you say, well, you know what, hey, in my personal beliefs, as it, it completely outside of my, my sexual orientation, looking at the right, what it was about being an individual, uh, you know, and we can obviously discuss more the, the finer things like policies and, and tax policy and trade policy and whatnot, but what was it that led you to be more of a conservative than, I guess, what would be the easy uh, step to go towards the, the leftists that 
um, really promote the idea of being the party of LGBT? Well, the politics came first, honestly. So I figured out I was conservative before I really fully came to grips with the idea that I was gay. So really it was just like, well, why should this change anything? Who I want to date. Um, but so I really, I, I did figure out, I think just before the freshman year, my freshman year, um, my senior year of high school actually was, um, I remember debating things in, in one of my AP classes and being one of the only people that would ever argue something from the perspective of the right. And then kind of during my freshman year, going into this kind of leftist monolith campus and just being kind of repulsed by leftism in mass, not just everyday liberalism, right? But true, I think many of them, many of the people on the faculty are true leftists, right? True believers. I just remember being kind of repulsed by that ideology and really coming to grips and figuring out that I was conservative around the same time that I was figuring out um, and getting comfortable with the idea of being gay. But the politics actually came first. Um, so from that point, it was really just kind of solidifying. Um, and it never really felt like something that could two things that couldn't go together to me at all, even though maybe I have different views um, on some social policies for sure than a lot of people on the right. But that doesn't mean I have to suddenly hate them or think that they're evil. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself like within the, the greater conservative movement? Uh, maybe coming at any odds with with social conservatives? Are those yes. You do? Okay. Could, could you speak to that? Maybe? Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, I'm not a social conservative on um, many things. Some things I am. I am pro-life, um, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, especially on LGBT issues, I'm not socially conservative. A couple things I take issue with, um, I would say on the – there, I, I really am deeply bothered by – uh, social conservatives, and everything I'm about to describe is not done by all social conservatives, just some. I'm deeply bothered by some that conflate pedophilia, like the um, cr- the like the Catholic Church crisis um, and, and abuse scandals, that they blame that on homosexuality. Some of them that irks me to my core because that's unsubstantiated by any real correlation or science, and it's it's just a smear and and it's a cop out because it's not going to solve the problem. That really bothers me. And another thing is I think sometimes when conservatives talk about um, transgender issues, they are not incorrect, but they are incompassionate and they are just callous. And I that can bother me sometimes. So let, let's speak to that a little bit, because I think that's uh, an area that's definitely, you know, at the forefront of the social discussion right now, obviously. Folks more on the the political right, like Ben Shapiro, for example, has been one of the more noted uh, folks in the conservative camp, stating that he thinks that uh, transgenderism is is gender dysphoria, therefore is a mental disorder. You had the whole um, case back up in Canada with Jordan Peterson refusing to follow government mandates to use preferred pronouns. Um, so looking at the transgender issue, I know a lot of libertarians fall into this camp as well. What could be done better to look at those folks within the transgender community. Um, and again, this kind of expands more towards the general LGBT community as well. What could we do better? Conservatives, libertarians, more small government, limited government, individualistic mindset folks. What can we do to bring them more into our movement and say, Hey, what we're promoting is going to be much better for you as an individual, but also for those within your larger movement of basically, again, not hurting people, not taking people's stuff, living your own life as you see fit. Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing is I don't understand that the outsized attention that some social conservatives place on these issues, at the end of the day, the whole transgender bathrooms thing is going to affect 
a couple thousand people and nothing really would come up of it. But think of the enormous topic that was for years in our politics, right? Why wasn't that time spent debating gun control, debating tax policy, economics, or uh, honestly, immigration or anything that's going to actually affect the American people um, at large? So I think one, it's like we need to pick our battles on the right. I don't understand why Ben Shapiro spends the amount of time that he spends talking about transgenderism. It's one issue, Mm. but it's got to be 20% of what he talks about. Um, And I just don't understand that. But then I guess it's also a tone thing, right? A transgender person who otherwise might agree with uh, right sympathetic or a gay person who might be right sympathetic is going to turn off, get turned off when you come at issues saying you're mentally, you're mentally ill, you're deranged, Mm. right? You could say, actually, I don't believe that you're correct. And here's why, right? But you don't have to be so, I think, antagonistic and bombastic and confrontational. I know that it gets you clicks. I know that it gets you YouTube um, viral videos, but it's not actually the best way to extend an olive branch to an LGBT community that is not ideologically um, homogeneous, right? I mean, 15% of LGBT people voted for Donald Trump. um, And he, uh, well, actually, some people think that he was more LGBT friendly than most Republicans, but regardless, he was a controversial candidate. I think um, another Republican who really kind of doesn't have to, they don't have to abandon traditional um, kind of social conservatives to also take an amicable approach to LGBT issues that's not um, bombastic. And then I think they could win a lot more people over. So I, I speak to you as, as an individual yourself. I mean, you've identified more as conservative. Um, and I would say, by and large, a number of folks in the LGBT community would that identify more as the the social progressive camp so obviously leaning towards you know the the, the more democratic uh side of things the the socialistic side of things and i i look and say you know the I, the messaging of individuality of not hurting people not taking people's stuff i think that's a, a message that a great number of folks within the the larger lgbt community can appreciate and i would dare yeah, say I agree. I, yeah i dare say that a lot of them live that in their day-to-day lives but then there seems to be like a disconnect where you have like the Libertarian Party, which literally is the party that promotes that in terms of bringing those people into the movement itself and trying to foster the ideas of individuality and then show it expressed in terms of economics or in terms of foreign policy, et cetera, et cetera. What are we doing wrong? What What is the the greater Libertarian movement not doing to bring in folks from the the greater LGBT movement who maybe they look at the, the social progressiveness and they're like, you know, this isn't exactly for me. Um... But I guess the the libertarians are are kooky or whatnot, so I'm going to maybe become a conservative instead. What do we need to do differently? I think one of the things that you mentioned right there, you hit it off the head. The Libertarian Party is a little bit too kooky right now. Um, I am a registered libertarian. I would love to see some great Libertarian Party candidates do well. We put up some good people, uh, but a lot of people that they put up are kind of fringe or extreme. Or you look at... The uh, libertarian presidential debates, they, they spent, I remember, um, they spent a lot of time debating seatbelt laws, right? Like, like that is not the messaging that's going to ever have broad appeal. And it's not really where we should be focusing our efforts in terms of winning over LGBT people who kind of just feel by default that they have to be progressive. One thing I think libertarians could do is take their um, and one thing, really, anyone who wants to convince a progressive on any issue, you have to take what's important to them and explain how it applies to your issue, right? So when I'm talking about gun rights to progressives who automatically favor gun control, I try to explain to them 
that the people they view as disadvantaged communities, people of color, women, low-income people, those are the people who need guns for self-defense the most often, right? You should have to go to where they're at and what they care about. Um, now, in terms of libertarianism and LGBT community, what that means is showing that the same kind of ethos of individualism that they care about in terms of the social realm, explain to them how that can only really coexist with economic individualism and freedom as well. I mean, you know, look, the Cato Institute has a great graph where they, where they, um, core, they show the correlation between two things, economic freedoms and social freedoms. Yep. All the, and it, there's a very consistent trend. The more economically free a society, the more socially free it will be too. So we have to show them that they can't just move the meter one way and sacrifice the individual in the um, economic realm and expect there to still, in the long run, exist that individualism in the social realm. What are we doing wrong then in terms of explaining that messaging? Because what you just said, I think, is exactly correct. It just it seems that a lot of the folks in the libertarian movement don't know how to convey that. So what could we do differently to promote that those ideas and let's say like an elevator pitch way that someone who's a libertarian can be at a gay pride parade festival, let's say, and they they are trying to win converts over by giving away, uh, I don't know, bumper stickers for Ron Paul running in 2020, because why not? And somebody says, well, why would I want to be a libertarian? What can a libertarian say to someone in the LGBT community that's quick, succinct, shows exactly what we believe and actually might make them ask a question to continue a conversation further? Sure. Um, I guess the first thing that you would have to point out is that um, progressivism actually is not serving our interests. Um, and it's really not because when a block, when a political uh, movement takes you as a block for granted, they really don't give a damn about serving you then because right now, I mean, LGBT people vote in lockstep for Democrats every time. Really, how is it working out for them? Um, I would say not very well. I don't think that um, the issues that they really care about are actually given that much of a second look by most Democrats. I think they're mostly given lip service. And I think what you have to say is what they're doing isn't working and we're not all like the Republicans. Don't think of us like that. We're not Mike Pence, right? We're not Ted Cruz. Don't associate us with them because you'll never win over LGBT people if that's who they think of, right or rightly or wrongly, right? Some of it's overhyped about those people being socially intolerant. Um, but rightly or wrongly, they have this kind of stigma. So if you really want to, I think, if you wanted to at first convince LGBT people, you would have to make it very clear that you're not the, the old style of Republican. You're not the same type of conservatism, libertarianism as is espoused by those folks. So let's go back to the article, right, from uh, from Deadspin. So they said in their article, because I mean, this kind of goes full circle, so in the conservative gays need to shut the F up um, article, they said, wealthy and mostly white gay men have all too often been afforded the choice not to just shed the quote-unquote oppressed label, but to become oppressors themselves. Their sexuality then becomes a tool used to help them uphold anti-feminist, white supremacist, wealth-favoring status quo, and they need to effing stop. So that's the argument being presented from the other side, from the progressive side. How do we deconstruct that already preconceived notion about not just wealthy gay, uh, white, wealthy gay white men who are in conservative uh, ideology or libertarian ideology, but I think also just 
it's it's built up as this is the position of the right or libertarians and conservatives being that we're using the sexuality and the position that we have to be anti-feminist, white supremacist, well-favoring status quo. What what do we say to that to say that's incorrect and here's the truth? Well, I guess you have to take them uh, one by one because those are, and I think first off, you just point out that that's the ridiculousness of identity politics, right? Anyone who doesn't think the way that their, their census box says they're supposed to think must be an evil racist bigot. That's the logic of extreme identity politics peddled by some on the left. And I think if you really point that out to gay people and remind them, hey, we'll treat you like an individual, they won't, um, then that's an important message. Then to kind of rebut that, I mean, you just have to make it clear that when we say libertarianism, we do not mean um, the kind of, I mean, because some alt-right people identify as libertarianism. Uh, and we have to say that's not us. We're not the, we're not the racist folks at all. We write, um, at least for me, we welcome immigration. Uh, we welcome the, a diverse society, but we believe in robust individual rights and liberty. And you can explain actually how that can help women, how that can help people of color. Um, so you have to really, uh, I think you have to dismantle the identity politics argument and refuse to let them just label you as bigoted trash because you're a gender traitor or whatever. All right, sir. Well, listen, I, um, I, I want to keep today's episode short cause it is the, the first episode for 2019 going into the new year. And, uh, I, I want to kind of summarize here. I like to give my audience, uh, the opportunity to hear from my guests kind of, a very generic, um, not really a final thought, but if you would, some some fun facts about you and maybe talk about some of the things that you're looking forward to in 2019, um, both personally, professionally, but then as a, maybe looking at the United States going into the next year, uh, some positive things that you're you're looking forward to. Okay, so some fun facts about me. I used to be able to dunk a basketball. Um, <laughs> I like steak well done with ketchup. Oh, no, um, Brad. No, 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 yes. no. Well, no, I'm ketchup? infamous for that on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 like all I can imagine is that's like cardboard. Like I know it's like crisp. It's got a little burnt crisp blackness to it. That's delicious. Oh goodness. Okay. Well, that's one of those things I'm going to agree to disagree with you on because I <laughs> steak for me if it's if it's just borderline mooing, that's the perfect spot for the steak to be. Yikes! Where you can see the blood. Ugh. Oh, absolutely. It's delicious. It's juicy. It's flavorful. Oh, yeah. But I digress. Okay, continue. Sorry. Yeah. Sure. So. um I guess for the rest of your question, what I would like to see um, in 2019 personally is I just want to see us move the needle, right, against populism in the sense of left-wing Bernie Sanders populism. I want to see um, in the Democratic primary that's coming up, right, or at least the, the, the campaign that's about to emerge for president, I would really like to see the Democratic Party move away from the Bernie, Cory Booker wing, and hopefully we can shift the left back towards the middle, uh, towards a more moderate candidate. And then on the right, I would really love to see um, President Trump and the Republican Party at large push the needle back towards libertarianism and towards the center more, whether that's just encouraging President Trump to do more things like the First Step Act and um, successfully lobbying him to leave Syria, uh, some of this good stuff that he's done, and then really, I think, convincing the country that we need to have a we don't need to have an all black and all white approach. I'm on team Max or I'm on team Y. We can um, actually just be intellectually consistent. And I would like people to start to realize that. 
do you think okay now just a step back do you do you honestly think that might happen next year i mean i i asked that i'm a little cynical because i look at the way that we have become as a society so obviously we're recording this after the dre- uh, the death of, of Bree Payton over at the Federalist. And, yeah, tragic. And, and, I mean, absolutely heartbreaking, tragic. And then I see people from the left, and, and again, this is not representative necessarily of the entire movement, but I see blue checkmark leftist progressives who say, well, look at this. Here is the conservative girl who didn't promote the idea of healthcare for everyone because healthcare is not a human right. And she passed away because she had the, the, the I think it's swine flu um, slash meningitis. And this is exactly what she deserves. And I'm like, how evil do does somebody have to be? That's their, the way that their mind approaches the death of someone who, number one, um, died not by doing, like they weren't any terrible person or anything. They died because of a, a freak illness and they just happened to be conservative. Like, do you, do you honestly, and I'm asking hopefully that there is something, do you see something maybe that's going to be turning around in 2019? Well, you know, I don't see a lot of signs for hope, but I also at this point think you never know what the hell is going to happen. Brexit, Trump, none of us saw any of this coming. So really, we don't know what's going to happen next. And in a sense, that gives me hope because I can tell you one thing. The status quo is going to be disrupted. We we're, we are living in crazy times. So hopefully that will be in the right direction. Fingers crossed, man. Well, listen, where, where can folks, so I know you do a lot of media stuff on, your, on the side. So number one, where can folks find you on social media so they can they can follow Brad Palumbo, but also talk about some of the stuff that you're you're looking forward to to promoting here in 2019 uh, from your own channels. Yeah, great. So you can follow me on Twitter at Brad underscore Palumbo. That's P-O-L-U-M-B-O. And hopefully over the new year, you'll see me uh, streaming out new articles published um, across my different outlets that I write for. Um, And hopefully I'll be able to write more about the things I care about, right? Democratic socialism, um, gun rights and school choice, higher education, these types of things that I think are important issues. And then also I'll post on there any clips of TV, radio, or podcasts that I do. So if you follow me on there, you really should be able to keep up with all the great stuff I hope to do in 2019. Fantastic. Brad Palumbo on Twitter, Brad underscore Palumbo. And obviously I'll include uh, links to Brad's Twitter uh, there on the uh, the show notes as well. Uh, and now, Brad, the, the most important question of the entire episode, we're going into uh, this coming weekend, NFL playoffs. Did your team make it, number one? And if so, who is it? Or number two, if they didn't, who are you pulling for going forward? Oh, you're going to hate me. Okay. I'm a soccer fan. Oh, so you're you're fake football. Yes, okay. fake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like my, two of my, my greatest friends are, are also huge soccer fans. One of them actually works for the Philadelphia Union. Um, so oh, cool. I, I've kind of had to become a surrogate, um, just kind of like by default soccer tolerator, I guess. So I don't I don't hate it like I gotcha. used to. So no no football at all? No, I don't watch any American football. All right. Well, how about this? Just root for the Dallas Cowboys um, because they are America's team. And uh, we'll just win another Super Bowl. It'll all make sense in the world. And it'll be all great sunshine rainbows. There you go. Sure thing. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, Brad, I appreciate the uh, the time on the Brian Nichols Show today. And again, folks, if you're interested in following more uh, from Brad, head over to his Twitter at Brad underscore Palumbo. And I'll also include lots of links to uh, to all the work that Brad has been doing um, there over for conservative slash libertarian media. But if you enjoyed today's episode, please take a second and uh, follow me over on Twitter and on social media 
anywhere at B Nichols Liberty. And if you're interested in making a one-time PayPal donation for uh, The Brian Nichols Show, you can go ahead and look for The Brian Nichols Show at gmail.com for that one-time PayPal donation. But until next time, folks, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show. For Brad Palumbo, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.